The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, do you like New Year's resolutions? Oh, no. Okay. Some strong opinions there. Uh, You don't have to say yes or no out loud. That's all right. Uh, But I, I appreciate the feedback. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, With every head bowed and every eye closed, you can raise, no, you don't have to do that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but the point is, the point of a New Year's resolution is very clear, It's, it's pretty obvious. You've identified an area of your life where you want to what? Grow, that's right, where you want to grow, where you want to change, where you want to see an aspect of your life different than it was the year before. And the celebration of a new year is, is really a grace from the Lord. It's an opportunity for us to give thanks, to, to say thank you, Lord, for how you have provided and been faithful and shown your kindness. And it's an opportunity for us to evaluate our own lives to a certain degree. But it's an opportunity for us to, to look at areas of our lives where we are weak. And I would say that's, that's maybe the best way of looking at it. But not just weakness in a general sense, but specifically in a Christian way to say, where in my life do I want to see the Lord grow me in my spiritual life, in my walk with Christ? But for the Christian, we care deeply about personal growth. We do. But not like the self-help gurus and the productivity gurus out there in the world, though we benefit from some of the the common wisdom and the grace of God from some of those. But we don't care about personal growth because we want to get rich or we want to impress people or because we want earthly success. But we want to grow because we are servants of the King of Kings and we want to be the sharpest mentally, physically, spiritually, that we can be for his service, right? That's why we want to grow. Not so that we can just check a box of our daily reading, which is a good thing. You can be doing that, and some of you have done that. For 15 minutes a day, just ask Don Myers. You can read the whole Bible in a year. You can do it. But it's not just about checking a box. It's about focusing our lives in the recognition that we belong to Christ. We are His. We are saved to serve the Master. And the Master transforms His people. He intends for them to grow. And growth is something that we're all familiar with, isn't it? Uh, Children want to grow, they, they, they look up at a big brother or sister or their parents or their hero and they say, I want to be like them. I want to be like my big sister. I want to be like my uncle Phil. My wife Laura had an uncle Phil and I wanted to be like him. And this last week while we were in Spokane, Washington, we got to celebrate his life. He's with the Lord now. He died of an inoperable brain tumor. But I can remember thinking as a young boy, Phil Campbell, what a man. 
I want to be like him. And he served and he gave his life for the sake of the gospel and the translation of the scriptures in a little tiny island in, the, in Indonesia for 35 years. And at 63 years old, the Lord took him home. And I wanted to be like him. And in ways I can say that I am by the grace of God. Every time I met Phil, every time I sat with him growing up when they'd be back on furlough and they were back for an extended period of time to care for a couple of their kids who were adopted in their teenage years, without fail, Phil would ask you, what did you read in the Bible today that made you love God more? And then he would share the same with you. And without fail, he had something to share. And it wasn't a long explanation. It wasn't a big exposition of a passage. But it was simple and it was sweet and it was glorious. That's a characteristic of all children. They want to be like someone who is an example to them. And when we're born again, we become spiritual newborn babies. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter here. And if we are healthy, we will yearn to grow. A healthy Christian is a growing Christian. And maybe you've heard someone lament that their child or their friend, you know, they they just never grew up. Yeah, my brother, they just never grew up. I I thought that. I know some of you have family members or dear ones in your life that you just say they, they just never grew up and how tragic those lives are. To see that their life just kind of tanked because they never really got serious about anything and, and most tragic is that they never trusted Christ who sets our lives on a trajectory of purpose and meaning. But as we think about a newborn baby who is healthy and growing, there's certain things that that baby will do that promote growth and that cause it to, to grow in those first months by pounds at a, a, a per week. I mean, it's amazing. Imagine if you were still putting on pounds per week like you were when you were an infant. We don't want to grow like that, right? Uh, but babies must grow. And the need for milk is a natural instinct for a baby, and it signals the, the, the pro, that, that there is proper growth and nourishment taking place. And brothers and sisters, just like a newborn baby, once we see our need for God's word and we begin to find nourishment in Christ, our spiritual appetite will increase. And as I think about New Year's resolutions or goals, One thing that I'm more and more convinced of in my life is my need for God's word. And without it, we will not grow. And so if there's any need, if there's any goal, if there's any New Year's resolution, if you've not come up with one yet, resolve in this year, in this month, to get in God's word. It is God's number one means for growing us in love for him and knowledge of him and in holiness. And as our appetite begins to increase, we begin to mature. And so here's the question. How is your desire for God's word? How is my desire for God's word? If, if you were to rate your desire on a scale from 1 to 10 for God's word, where would you mark yourself? Maybe jot that down. You can cover it up on your paper if you want. 
so your neighbor doesn't see. But think about that. Where is your desire for God's word in your life? When we hear about people who never grew up or Christians who just aren't growing, who don't have an appetite for spiritual things, that should be a wake-up call to us to say, where am I? How am I, Lord? How is my appetite for your word today? And those tragic examples are a reminder to us of what happens when we seek to satisfy our spiritual cravings with the things that were never meant to satisfy. And brother and sister, they are all over the place, aren't they? Maybe you think, I wake up at 5 a.m., 4.30, and then I gotta get to work. Eat a bowl of cereal, I get on the road, I've got a 45-minute commute, I work a 10-hour day, I come back, I have 30 minutes of just unwind time, and then dinner, and put the kids to bed, go to sleep, and do it all over again. You think, I don't have time for God's word. But God's word says differently. God's word tells us that if we are going to follow Christ, if we are going to grow and mature as Christians and enjoy the assurance of the transforming work of God in our lives, then we will hunger and crave after God's word. Maybe you've been sucked into the thinking that, you know, I just can't grow. I'm just... I'm just kind of flatlining. I've tried, I've tried, but I just can't. I'm just spinning my spiritual wheels and maybe I'll never grow. Maybe I'll never change. Maybe that's just kind of how it's supposed to be and you're stuck in a spiritual rut. But brother and sister, God's work of redemption through Christ at the cross in his resurrection guarantees that we can be more zealous for God, that we can be more fervent in our prayers, that we can delight in the Lord, that we can enjoy fellowship more and more, that we can be more bold with the gospel, that we can learn to endure suffering as a faithful slave of Christ, that we can be more hopeful in the face of suffering. And not only does God the gospel does the cross guarantee it but what god commands he promises to give and so there must be a way and so for you who are discouraged this morning this passage gives us hope gives us encouragement gives us direction and gives us help for spiritual growth brothers and sisters we need to taste to see and to savor the savior together And Peter helps us to do that. And so this morning in this passage, we're going to see uh, three results of the new birth that guarantee our spiritual growth and joy in him. Three results or three actions that are a result of the new birth that guarantee our growth and joy in him. And so first, here's the first. If we want to grow, then we must lay aside church growth killers if we want to grow then we must lay aside church growth killers or you could say growth killing sins look at verse one with me of chapter two peter says if you want to grow you must put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander lay aside brother and sister 
church growth killers. Now, maybe church, that word church, isn't so obvious from the passage, but from the context, we remember that all of the epistles, all of the letters of Paul and James and and John and, and Peter are written not just to individual Christians, but to what? Local churches. And so all that Peter's about to exhort us in here is lived out and worked out in the context of a local congregation as believers gather together in covenant commitment to one another saying, yes, I will follow Christ. And as you follow Christ, I'll help you follow Christ. But if we do not lay aside the sins that Peter lists here, they will kill growth in the church one by one by one as they overwhelm and overtake us if we are not on guard against them. And so here we have a picture of the old sinful cravings that that the powerful word of God destroys. He says, malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You see, in in chapter 2, verse 1, Peter uses an important word. He uses the word, therefore, or he says, or you might have in the ESV, so, But it's also translated, therefore, and what is the therefore, therefore, but to point us back to something. Significant. It points us back to verse 23, where Peter gives a command. He says, Uh, Rather, verse 22, he says, We are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love earnestly from a pure heart. He says, since you've been born again by the word of God, since you've been purified by the word, and you have new life by obedience to the word of God, you will act a certain way. And the way that he says you will act is that you will have gospel-produced, spirit-wrought love and affection for the brothers that wasn't there before. Care and concern and devotion and sacrificial living for brothers and sisters in Christ who before you were born again, you really didn't care about them. They were just kind of there for your own pleasure or your own desires, but rather, like Christ, you desire now to be a sacrificial servant, a blessing, thinking of ways to point other believers to Christ day by day. And and this is the new life, at least one of the ways that the new life is lived out in a Christian. And so that's how we get to 2 verse 1. And so he says, so therefore... Since you've been purified, since you've been cleansed, and now you have a new brotherly affection that drives you to do things that you didn't do before, like give up your money for the sake of God's people. When you hear about needs in the body, you say, I can help. How can I help? What can I do? So that that person is reminded of the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of God. That's why you have money. It's not to get rich or store store it up for yourself, but to give it away for the sake of the gospel. 
and you want to do those kinds of things now. Your time and your life is for the saints. And he says, therefore, since that's true, put away these things. Put away or put off. It is directly connected. This putting off, this putting away is directly connected to these main verbs in the passage, to love and to crave. And so what are the sins that destroy this kind of love, that destroy this kind of craving and loving after God? What are the sins that God, through His Word, wants to to destroy in our midst that hinder spiritual growth? What are these sins that we're to make a definite break from? What are these sins that undealt with in our hearts and in our lives infect and destroy unity and corrode unity? What are they? What are the sins that kill love and hinder growth? Well, first, Peter says, we are to put away or we are to lay aside malice. Malice. Malice is the kind of sin in our hearts that is okay with people hurting. In fact, it even has a motivation that with our words or with our deeds, we kind of like when people hurt. We kind of like when they get a little bit of what was coming to them. And the goal of this kind of sin that Satan would love to infuse and inject into our midst and that our flesh would love to see seep out into our relationships and our fellowship would be a relational sickness in the community where there is not a tenderheartedness, a compassion, a gentleness toward one another. but thinks injuriously toward others, and it kills love. And this is the first kind of sin that Peter says we have to destroy if we're going to grow in our midst. But there's a kind of progression. Next, Peter says deceit. We are to lay aside, or we are to put aside, put away, or, or to use the words of Paul, we are to put to death deceit. Another translation in, in your lap might say guile. But a deceit related originally to a bait or, or a snare, and it meant to be deceit. It means to tell someone something that isn't true to gain an advantage over them or to hide some truth like a fishing lure. It's not really a worm, but it traps and it destroys Now, I'm not against fishing. I like fishing and all that. But if there is deceit in our midst, church, if we are hiding, if we are covering up, if we are deceiving people about our lives and about sin in our lives, it will destroy us and it will stunt your growth. And so if you're one saying, I just can't grow, I just don't have a hunger for God's word, then here's the question. Here's at least one question you must ask yourself honestly before the Lord. Is there any sin that you have not brought into the light? And, and there should be nothing holding you back because Jesus promises to help you. He says if you put it aside, 
the, the promise, the implication is that you will grow. This isn't Peter bashing you over the head to guilt you into giving up your sin, but to lure you and to entice you into spiritual growth and joy in Christ. Is there anything about your communication or your motives? And how humbling is this? We can all raise our hands and say, yes, we've we've twisted the truth. And when someone's asked us for critical feedback about our lives or about our par- marriage or our parenting, we've, we've kind of blunted the, the, the end so as to, to not hurt or offend, but really there's something in their life that you see that they need your help with, but you've not loved them enough to tell them the truth. That's a form of deceit. Brothers and sisters, let's be open to input and let's give it Let's ask for it. Let's not deceive ourselves into thinking that everything will just kind of fix itself, but to acknowledge that God uses means, as Graham just prayed, to sanctify us. Let's not deceive one another. Let's let our motives be pure before the Lord. What about hypocrisies? He says, put aside all deceit, malice, and hypocrisies. Any number of hypocrisies, Peter says, in our midst must be put aside. Hypocrisy is related to deceit. It's a desire for what really is to to not be known. Oh, how tempting that is. To, To want to hide a little bit, to hold a little bit back of what's really going on in our lives. And we think, you know what? You know what? I just don't know if I can trust those people. They hurt me before. And so, yes, while I'll say that we should be honest and open about our sins in our lives, I'm not going to do that. It's too risky. Hypocrisy destroys spiritual growth. And do you see how? Because it's a facade. No one really knows how each other are doing. If we are allowing hypocrisies into our midst, no one really knows what's going on in our lives. No one really knows what we need accountability for. No one really knows what we're thinking about in the darkest hours of our lives when we wake up at night sleepless because we're troubled by something. But of course we'd say, yes, we should be honest and have accountability, but we're hypocrites. It's a fear of being known, of insecurity overwhelming our spiritual life, a sense of not liking what we see about ourselves and yet saying that we should pursue godliness. Church, I need to hear this. I need brothers in my life. I need sisters in my life. And I need to pursue that, pursue that just as you do. And you in my life know who you are and I'm thankful for you. Who are those in your life that you're open with, that you're genuine with, that you're transparent with? But what about envyings? What does he say? Also, envy is to be put aside. If we want to grow in this new year, We must put aside jealousy, desire for privilege that belongs to another, desire for what others have and we don't. How deceitful this sin is and to use Jerry Bridges' book title, Respectable Sins. We we joke about 
the, the cool house that someone has or the, the new place that they have, and they say, well, you know, I could never do that, and, you know, it's, and, and we grumble and we complain, but really it's from a heart of, of envy. And envy, it works itself out in all sorts of slanderings, as Peter says. He says we're to put away all slander, speaking against others. The slanderer says nice things to the person's face, but disparaging and critical things behind their back. Elders and deacons, we must be warned by Peter in this passage to never slander those in our midst. Church family, members of this church, do you speak critically behind other people's backs, behind your leader's backs, but then you speak generously and graciously to them, to their faces. May it not be so. Church, let's confess those sins if we are committing them. Let's come out with them. Let's confess them even today and say, Lord, forgive me. And eventually, these kinds of things become a bit of an art to us. Have you ever met someone who's really good at kind of saying something really nice about someone, they say, yeah, but, but you know, they, they'll always be like this or they'll never change in this way. They're really good at complimenting, complimenting, but then they always twist it and you kind of go, oh, well, that, that wasn't quite as loving as it started out. I don't want to be like that. Brothers and sisters, we need to help each other. If we hear speech like that, we must nip it in the bud. Or it will grow like weeds in our midst and it will choke out the life of our church. So what's Peter's major concern here? These sins, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy. You know what? Peter knew that the church in the first century was going to struggle with these sins. They were being persecuted. At the same time in the world, Nero is persecuting Christians. He's burning them alive. Who's more, who's an easier target to slander and to envy than the wicked? So certainly the believers are going to be tempted to commit these sins outside of the church, but especially within the church. And these sins and a hundred others undealt with not only kill love and fellowship, but Peter's concern here is that they kill spiritual growth in the heart of the believer. And they hinder our advance and our growth in knowledge of God and His Word. And so, brothers and sisters, as we think about application of this first point, to lay aside growth-killing sins or church growth killers, what's the remedy? What's the remedy that Peter gives well these sins these sins these vices must be overcome by the lord's goodness and spiritual milk that peter talks about next the power of hypocrisy and deceit can only be broken by a greater desire a greater craving a greater joy The remedy is the word that we are drinking moment by moment, day by day. Peter says that new people who are satisfied in the milk, the spiritual milk, 
that God provides will not see these sins going on without, without a break in their lives. John Owen said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Another pastor had a, a mother famously write in, in his Bible, Sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. And so if we want to see these sins overcome, what is the remedy? And here's the answer in verses 2 and 3. Look at what he says. Look at the text. If we're to put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander, look at the text. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter intends for believers to grow up out of these sins into greater depths of their sanctification and salvation by a certain means, which is what we prayed for this morning, God's Word. So first, we've seen that we are to lay aside Growth killers. Second, we need to long for the Word. If we want to see these sins overcome in our lives, in our church, in the new year, we must long for the Word. And here's the main idea of this text, of this verse here. It's the key word, crave. Crave or long for. That's the key idea. That's the key word in this text. He says, like newborn infants long for or crave the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. He says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. Peter's not saying that you're baby Christians, that Christians are infants in the, in the letter here, but he's saying the ma- most mature believer in your midst will be and will always be like a newborn baby who does one thing really well, and he craves after the Word of God. And not only is this a, an active verb, but it is an imperative. It is a command. Peter calls us to crave after spiritual milk. And this is the main strategy for killing the sins in verse 1. It's to drink. It is to drink. It is to drink from the pure spiritual milk found in God's Word we were back in Spokane over Christmas time, and it was a joy for me to share with the church there that I grew up in, where I got to preach last Sunday, that I am so encouraged to see the body at Gold Country Baptist Church craving the milk of God's Word. Ladies' Bible studies, men's Bible studies, youth Bible studies, our kids digging into the, God, into the Word of God, and to see that getting in God's Word produces The very thing that God says will grow us. It produces more craving. It produces more longing. It it, it signifies an intense and ever-recurring desire. And Peter commands that we crave. But what is this milk? What is this milk? Well, milk is the natural diet of, of infants, isn't it? This is what babies, not only, it's not only what they crave, but it's what they need. They don't simply desire it, but they are drawn with a powerful, instinctive urge 
to have it. They don't know necessarily what it's for, but we do. It's for growth. And believers should have this desire for spiritual growth. And there is an urgency in this text. Crave. Long for. And I know that some of you are saying, you know, I don't know if I've ever felt that way about God's Word. I don't know if I've ever felt like I have a longing for the Word of God. And so the challenge, the the call to you this morning, believer, is to wake up and to drink. To wake up and to open your Bible. To quit listening to 13 podcasts during the week and to open your Bible. I read a satirical article recently where it says man uh, bemoans that he has no time to read the Bible while he listens to his 13 podcasts each day. People who walk around with headphones on all day long listening to everything but the Word of God. Church, open your Bible and drink. You can grow. You, can't, you have the time. Prioritize it. Lay aside. Each year, Laura and I are convicted that we need to lay aside certain habits, watching shows at night, even reading certain books that just distract us. Putting away our phones in the morning, not checking our emails till we get to work or whatever it is. Are there habits in your life that are keeping you from God's word? Because if you're a believer, you will crave. And if you do not crave, one of two things is probably true. Either you are not a true believer and you need to test yourself to see whether you're in the faith, whether you have these spirit-wrought cravings and longings, or if you have been distracted, or if you're being distracted right now maybe you're on your phone maybe you're checking the football game maybe you're (laughs) i know i have a smartphone too it's easy to do what is distracting you saint what is leading you away from the life giving the soul satisfying word of god write it down list it out give it to the lord bring it into the light and say god i want to grow help me to crave and get someone to help you this is how we grow church there's no shortcuts This is how we grow, by feeding our soul on the word of God and by starving and killing old appetites. We must put them away, and we must long for the word of God. And he says this, here's the result. Look at what the text says. He says, that, so that, crave, long for the pure spiritual milk, verse two, that by it, so that by it you may grow up into salvation. What's the goal? It's spiritual growth. It's growth and godliness. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Turn there with me briefly and quickly. Colossians chapter 3. Paul gives us this paradigm. If we want to grow, we have to put off and we have to put on. This is biblical counseling. This is sanctification 101. If there's a sin that has you by the neck, you must put off and you must put on. Colossians 3, verse 1, Paul says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. There's a similar action word is to crave or to long for. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. And then verse 5, if we are set on seeking Christ, he says, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. 
And then verse 8, he says, you now must put them all away. And here's the sins that Peter has just, some of them that has mentioned. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So here's the, the paradigm. Put off and put on. Put off and put on. What are the sins that are hindering you, that are holding you back? Put them off. List them out. Write them down. Get them out in the open. Get someone who knows you and loves you and you can share them with. And then say, verse 12, look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And above all, put on love. Brothers and sisters, if there are sins that have us by the throat, have a grip on our lives we must put them off we must put them out there we must put them before the lord and we must then say lord what would you have me to put on as the new clothes of sanctification what is it this is what longing for the word results in Turn back to 1 Peter, he says, so that you may grow up into salvation. Now, this isn't a works righteousness. Don't, don't confuse it. He's not saying that you'll grow up in and become saved. But he, this is an idea that we are to work out our salvation, as Paul says in Philippians, our salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation results in sanctification. Craving results in growth. That is the evidence of our salvation. It's like having boots, but you need to grow into them a little bit. You have what you need. You have the shoes that you need to run the race, but they're something you're going to grow into. That was just kind of on the fly there. I don't know if that illustration is helpful, but we are to grow up into our salvation until one day when we are with Christ, we will be finally saved and rescued and delivered from sin. We're going to grow in the meantime. This is how believers grow, by feeding right appetites and starving and killing old appetites in order that we should be caused to grow and to thrive and to crave spiritual milk day by day. But here's the idea. Peter says we are to be like newborn infants all the time, every day, every year, every decade, every half century Be like a baby in this way, in the way that you crave after the word of God. Don't be immature, but grow. Grow in your sanctification. Grow in godliness. Grow in your love and delight in Christ. And that happens as we do what the famous hymn says. You know it. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Do you know that song? Pray every day, pray every day, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Do you know that song? Raise your hand. Kids, okay, all right, you know the song. You're looking at me like you don't know it. Come on. Don't read your Bible, don't ever pray, and you'll what? You'll shrink, shrink, shrink. Profound truth in a kid's song. Sing it at the lunch table today. Gold Country Baptist Church, no milk, no growth, no milk, No enjoyment of his mercy and his kindness and his grace and patience and hope and assurance and joy because we forget. 
we don't crave after the pure spiritual milk found in God's word, which we know from the context is the gospel. It's the word of God that sets us free, that saves us. It is the word that was preached to us. This is the means by which we grow. It's the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. Here's a question for you. What are you feeding on? What are you feeding on that's actually starving you? What are you feeding your soul that is distracting you? What have you replaced the milk of God's word with that nourishes the soul and satisfies the heart? What have you replaced that with? Maybe it's happened subtly. Usually that's how it goes in our hearts and in our lives. It's a subtle slip. It's a subtle drift from our devotions, from our commitments before the Lord. What are you feeding your soul on? And church, let's commit, let's devote ourselves to to feed ourselves on the word of God that quenches the longings of our soul for rest and joy and peace and purpose and creates in us increased longing and desire for it. Maybe you need help getting in the word. Maybe you say, okay, I get it. I get it, Corey. I understand. I'm going to crave after the word of God, but I've had a Bible for 20 years, but no one ever taught me how to read the Bible. What do I do with it? I just open to Nehemiah and read some random passage. Here's here's just some helpful things. As you open the Bible, you could ask a few questions in any passage and you will be helped. Here's a few. If you need some help, I need help. I need reminders. I need refreshing in these things. First, what is is the Bible passage? What does this passage teach me about God? That is the most fundamental thing that we should ask about any passage. What does it teach me about God? And then second, what does this passage teach me about myself? What does it teach me about God, about myself as a sinner, as a Christian, as a father, as a mother, as a teenager? What does this passage teach me about how to be a good brother or a sister, a good friend, a good schoolmate? What does this passage teach me about myself? What sins or wrong attitudes in this passage have I been made aware of? A third question. What sins or sinful attitudes have I been made aware of in this passage? Write those things down. And then maybe just very simply, how will I apply this to my life today? If you've been made aware aware of sin in your life through that passage, confess it to God. Share it with a friend who will pray for you. And that you can follow up with to say, hey, here's how this has been going in my life this week. What does this passage teach me about God, about myself? What sins or sinful attitudes have I been made aware of in this passage? And how will I apply it to my life? You can do that. You can do it, believer. As you long for the word of God and you engage in active reading the word of God, you will grow. But here's the third and final ingredient that we see from this passage We can do this, we can persevere, we can grow, but we must look to the goodness of God. Finally, in verse three he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, church, you will put aside these sins, you will crave after God's word, if and only if you believe 
because you have experienced the goodness of God and tasted that He is good altogether. And this is the connection between longing and craving and growing up. The thing that's in the middle of those is the question, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Tasted. Have you experienced? Like the psalmist, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Is there a point in your life where you saw sin for what it was, that it was poison and that it was death? And that what you needed was the good physician to heal you And that he did that by dying for you. And that he did that by bearing all of the punishment that you deserve for your sins in a death that you should have experienced in a gruesome and brutal crucifixion that should have been you and me. Have you tasted and seen that God is merciful and kind and compassionate and that he's patient? And that he's loving. Have you? Have you tasted? Do you think of him that way? When you think of God, what is he to you? Maybe you need to confess that you've not been thinking on God. You've not been tasting and seeing that he's good because you have been distracted from him. But if you will go to the word and say, Lord, show me who you are. Go to the Psalms and see that the Lord is good afresh you'll be renewed. But if you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you are still in your sins. And you will be judged according to your righteousness, which is nothing compared to the righteous standards of God. You will be judged in your sin on that day when you die or when Christ comes again. And you will bear the full punishment for your sins that you deserve for your sins. But instead, as we saw a few weeks ago in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath on your behalf. He was baptized under the the waves of God's wrath in your place. And if you will trust in him, you will be saved. You will. He will save you. And then you will taste that the Lord is good and you will never go back. Is that true of you? Have you tasted of the Lord's goodness? Are you growing up in his salvation because you can't forget how good he is. But even when you are by discouragement forgetful or you are forgetful by having been deceived by sin, are you confessing your sin? There's a direct link between growth and confession of sin. Not just to the Lord, but by the grace of confessing our sins to one another that we might be healed as James says will grow as we confess our need, will grow as we taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted? Have you drunk of this milk, spiritual milk, spiritual nourishment from the Word of God? This doesn't mean that you've just nibbled, that you've just taken a sip. No, when someone puts a tasty, delicious burger before you, you don't just take a bite and say, that was good, but I'm good. No, you eat the whole thing. You consume it. You devour it. You don't leave the table until every crumb is gone. And that is what the Lord produces in us. And if it's not true of you in this new year, come to the Lord and say, Lord, renew in me a right spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do that. Do that today, church. 
Cry out to God and plead that it would be so. Search your heart. Confess your sin. Get a brother or sister to walk with you in this year. Don't wait. Don't wait. Why would you wait? To help you. To encourage you along. To to link arms with you and say, let's walk together. In your small group, in your men's or women's Bible study, in your midweek group, get someone to encourage you, to help you. To say, let's taste and see that the Lord is good together. And church, if we're doing that, we'll be an evangelistic church. We'll be an evangelistic people. We will want to tell others of the goodness of Christ. We'll be bold. We'll grow in courage. We'll grow in steadfastness in our service. It will transform us. And we will be a gracious and a generous and a kind and a gentle people. Who are putting away malice. Who are putting away deceit. Because we know that our lives are laid bare before the Lord of the universe. And we've tasted and seen that he is good. May he thaw out cold hearts. May he soften hard hearts. May he strengthen those who are weak. May he encourage those who are faint-hearted this morning. As he calls you, as he calls us to come to him in his word and to crave after him and his promises that he will satisfy us and he will grow us and he will give us the longings of our heart. Church, may it be so of us in this new year. Let's pray to that end together. Oh Lord God, you have created us new as new creatures in Christ to crave after you. Lord, at the heart of longing, at the heart of craving is our need for you. We need you, Lord. We need you more than we need a job We need you more than we need a a roof over our heads. We need you more than friendship. We need you more than all of those things. But uh, rather, and you give yourself to us freely and you satisfy our hearts. Lord, help us to sense our need for you today. Help us then to pursue you with all of our might. Help us to today to put aside sin that is killing our souls, that is killing our spiritual growth, that is killing our fellowship, that will kill our unity if we don't get a hold of it by your grace. Lord, help us today to see even where in, in subtle places we've allowed these sins to creep in. Help us to confess them to one another. Help us to do the hard work of of confessing and sharing and bearing burdens. May you change our hearts. May you grow our affection for you. May our motivation to love your people grow as you guarantee it will in this passage. For the sake of Christ and for the world who is looking, who is watching. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.